So we're in an entirely new series that we've been doing for three weeks now. We're in our fourth week. This week is our fourth week. We've looked at three different things in the last three weeks. We looked at appreciation, accountability, and adaptability. And these were all based on the I am statements that Jesus did. He had seven I am statements, and we're going to go through each one, uh, one per week, and so we have another three weeks ahead of us. Uh, Appreciation, we looked at, Jesus said, he is the vine, and we said that you have to realize the source of where that comes from, and so you should be connected to that, and we looked at accountability, where Jesus said that he has many sheep in other folds, and that he is the great shepherd, and we should all be connected to him. He will hold us accountable inside there. And then adaptability, that we're committed to go through with Jesus on that particular area, and that he is the door and he takes us through. As I shared with you about accountability, and I'm going to keep this thread going for as long as I can, you know, I, I shared with you that I'm, I'm, I, I've gone to this gym, right? And so uh, I'm going every day, uh, except for Sabbath. <sighs> Love Sabbath, it's so good. Uh, and so I think I've missed like one day or two days out of the, since I started two weeks ago. But, but here's the interesting thing. I met the trainer this week, right? Her name is Brenda. And this is the first time I met her, and I met her on, uh, on Tuesday. And, and, and I was curious to know how these people who had given me this gift had described me to her. Like, how would she know that, who I was, right? Like, I mean, would she look around the gym and say, there he is. Uh, or was there something else? So I asked Brenda the question, and she said, because, you know, she, she did this whole thing where you leg press, you know, 400 pounds, and you move around, and all this kind of stuff, can you bounce on a ball, all this kind of stuff, just to work out whether you actually are able to do anything. And, and then she said, you know, I'm so, I'm so impressed, because the way they described you, I mean, <laughs> I thought you were going to be in a wheelchair. I mean, I was like, hmm. Ready? And then I said, so how did they describe me exactly? And they said, oh, you know, he's, he's got a really good laugh, and uh, he's, he's a big guy, and, and he's, he's really out of shape. I mean, really, like, decrepit. I'm, I'm surprised he can do anything. That's effectively the words that they use. So I'm going to go find these people. Uh, I'm going to have words with these people. Right, really? Is that how you... Enjoy? They, go to, they go to a shop and say, hey, you should meet my pastor. He's decrepit. <laughs> You'll easily spot him because he's rolling down the hill. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll have words about that. So accountability goes two ways. All right, so <laughs> next week, though, next week, um, before we get to this week's message, next week we're going to deal with committed to acceptance. And, uh, and acceptance is really important. I'm going to push you really hard next week. So if you're not ready for, for uh, if you're looking for a comfortable sermon, don't, probably don't come next week, just watch online. But I'm going to push you hard next week because acceptance is, is difficult. We claim it, we want to hold on to it, and we don't know what it really means. We struggle with standards, that we call them, and we don't actually know how to accept people and hold to our standards. And I think we get three words messed up a lot. The words are condemn, condone, and conform, and we don't know how to actually relate through those three words. And so I want to wrestle through that next week. I want you to spend time in the text, look at the I am statement that Jesus is talking about, and, and ask God to actually help you with that process as we talk about what acceptance looks like for us as a community, for us as a church, for us further in our lives as well. But this week, though, this week, it is about adventure, right? This is fantastic. I love adventure. I'm all about adventure from my seat. I love adventure. I, I like the idea of it. I like the, the, the concepts behind it. And there's so many ways that we would be able to do this. In fact, that's why I told you last week that you had to read and do the daily walk because it was just so much fun. How many of you spent time going through the daily walk this week? Did? 
See, and, and then when you got to the text, how many of you felt like, oh man, I can't stop. I've got to keep on reading the story all the way to like John 12, 12. How many of you did that? Yes, it's so good. It's so good. It's fantastic. In fact, Pastor David was given a real clip into it during the children's story where he was explaining, and, and there was a sentence he said that, that just caught my attention, and I didn't know, quite know what he meant by this. He said to the boys and girls, you know, it wasn't that Lazarus was only partly dead or a little bit dead. I was like, what does a little bit dead look like? Is it like this? Is it like, you know, I, I couldn't work that one out. So David, you'll have to explain that little bit dead motive to me because I thought it's either dead or alive. I'm not quite sure. A little bit dead, kind of middle inside there. But what I love is how the story ties into the passage because it is about an incredible adventure with incredible consequences that transformed the way that we understand this. And as I said to you last week, you know, when it comes to miracles, the miracles are always connected to what God wants to teach us about the gospel and apply all those things to our text. So I, I looked at the, the adventure, and I think there are some emotions and some realities that come out when I think of adventure. One of them is excitement. Uh, another one would be energy, uh, that we get more energy in adventure. And a third one would be exploration, that we are, we're just exploring things, discovering things. And that's what an adventure is all about, discovering something new inside this world. But excitement is really easy. If you want to have a great adventure, excitement can be generated very quickly. Monday night, um, I was uh, having dinners with somebody down at Zeal Food down on, on Pearl Street. And as I was sitting down having dinner, uh, suddenly I heard this song. And, and I, I want to play this song for you. Just and I was like, I know this song. And I thought, I'm not going to dance. And just like, I'm not going to move. I just sat still, of course. I was like, but then my head started to move. I was like, this is good. And I felt like my body should move. I was like, this is good. And I felt like excitement was coming on. I felt like maybe my feet should go with this. I was like, whoa. And I was sitting down thinking, all this, oh, okay, we take it down now. <laughs> and I was thinking, this is going to be an amazing song, right? And as I was listening to the song, I stopped the conversation. And I was in a good conversation with them, but I was like, man, this song is so good. And they were like, what is this song? And I'm like, it's really good. It's from a movie, Gone in 60 Seconds, which is all about stealing cars. But there's a lot of adventure in stealing cars, apparently. And there's a Shelby in there. Oh, and Nicolas Cage and the leather jacket. And that song is the opening track. I own that movie in French and in English. It's that good, all right? So I own it in SD and HD. It's that, it's that fantastic. So as I'm saying this to the couple, the lady who's sitting across the table, she's like, that's my favorite song too. I was like, really? I don't know what it's called. So she told me the name. It's by a guy called Moby, who apparently looks like Peter. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So if you're looking, turn around and see Peter there running our sound, that's what Moby looks like. Uh, so I'm going to Google that, put a picture of Peter next by and say, the real Moby, please stand up. Peter. All right, so that's what I thought it was. And I, I was just taken aback. So I said to this lady afterwards, I gave her my card, I said to her, you've got any good songs like this, send them to me. Because I, did, I didn't even know this song was by Moby. But every time I would watch this movie, I would always crank the opening soundtrack up. In fact, sometimes I wouldn't even watch the movie, I'd just watch the opening soundtrack. It was just so good, it was like, oh, old instruments, the sound, it just brings it together. That excitement really hits you. So I love excitement, and I think adventure sometimes feels like it should be exciting all the time. When I was a kid, um, my father um, decided that he was gonna take us on an adventure. 
we were going to go look for the lost ark, right? The Ten Commandments. We were going to go find the Ten Commandments in the Middle East. So I've never been, like, we've never been like on a vacation or anything like this. We packed our entire family up. We got in this car. We drove through Europe. We were going to go all the way to the Middle East, through Europe, just drive all the way down there. My dad had a hunch, basically studying the Bible, looking at some historical documents, where he thinks the ark could be stored to this day. We never made it. I know, I know. Never made it. Something happened on the way in Serbia or Croatia or some country like that, Yugoslavia. I can't remember what it was called at the time. This is like thousands of years ago. We never made it. But I remember the excitement, being in the car, hitting Austria, going through all the countries, thinking, oh, man, any day now we're going to arrive in the Middle East, and then we will find the Ark of the Covenant. And I had a real good thing where I loved Indiana Jones. So I was like, this is like life had become real inside this. So I was very excited about that. But you know, excitement is just one way that we kind of experience adventure. The other one, of course, is that we have lots of energy. We can create energy. It does, it does a lot of things. Adventure can create energy in our lives as well. And I love mission trips. Mission trips for me are phenomenal. I've lost count of how many mission trips I've been on. But uh, get this, this summer, we're going to offer you three mission trips as a church. You're welcome to join them and join other people. We're going to advertise them all over the United States. Three mission trips. In June, we're going to go to Brazil, to the Amazon. In July, we're going to go to Cambodia. And then in August, we're going to go back to Brazil, to the same place in Amazon. And if you're interested, 10 days each time, you're interested, talk to me, and we'll let you know how to get involved in this. But I think mission trips are phenomenal because you arrive, and you're, you're kind of pumped like you're going to do stuff, and then you realize the amount of work it's going to take, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to do even more, and you push even harder, and you do so much work, so much transformative stuff that it just, it's just incredible to you. We're also going to run a summer internship here at the church, which I'm really excited for, about, and if you're interested in getting involved in that, then talk to Pastor David about that, and so if you're one of the youth, 13 to 17, and you're thinking you'd like to get involved in that, then we can do that. Josh told me last night, he had a great idea, he said, what if we built um, a garden on the roof of the church. What do you call those things? Uh, garden on the roof? What do you call them? A rooftop garden. Very, very smart. Yeah. That's why I married her. All right. <laughs> a rooftop garden on the church. You know, I said, yeah. And then immediately I thought, yeah, rails. Yeah, lots of rails, like 10-foot-high rails. I'm sure Boulder would appreciate that. But, you know, whatever creative ideas we could have, let's do something inside this. So it creates a lot of energy inside there. The question, though, that I have for you, uh, which I think is going to lead into the third one, which is where I feel adventure should really be, is inside your worship guide. So if you don't have your worship guide, put your hand up, and uh, one of our elders or diaconate members will come and make sure you have a worship guide. Everybody got one? At the front here, Keith needs one. It's great. You'll need a worship guide today because, again, I'm going to ask you to use the Connect card, and everybody should have their own inside here, or you'll tear up the worship guide in different forms and, and share pieces of paper around with you. But question number one is this. What is the greatest adventure you have ever experienced, and how did it change you? What is the greatest adventure you ever experienced, and how did it change you? And I thought hard, long and hard about this for myself, and I realized that the greatest adventure I've ever experienced is actually becoming a father of the two boys that we have. And I'm just like, they, I mean, just, I remember both of them, just when they were born, and, and I was really glad I didn't change their first nappy, their first diaper, really happy about that, because it was green. And, and, and then they ate, and it continued being green. For, and, and it was like they, they were 
delivering more than they were eating. It was just like this continual supply of just bountiful green liquid inside there. And so and I just remember the, the, the way that you held them and, and the heartbeat. And for those of you who don't have kids, all right, uh, for those of you who are like, oh, I'm never going to have children, uh, you once were a child. Okay, someone held you and felt this way, so get over it. For those of you who do have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, oh my goodness, they're lovely. And you hold them and you grow with them and that adventure becomes like a lifetime of you learning all the time. I remember, I remember once uh, Joshua was um, pretty small and uh, he was lying on the, on the sofa in our room and, uh, and so he was learning to roll, right? naturally, and so I leave, and he rolls and drops off the sofa onto the floor. Now, I panicked. I called the ambulance, uh, and they came out, and they're like, so your sofa is uh, 12 inches off the ground, and this thick carpet, um, you know, I, I think he's fine. Did he, did he cry? Yeah, yeah. That's usually a sign that they're okay. I was like, ooh, when they cry, they're okay. I like this. This is a paradigm shift. I was like, this is really good. And then I remember when we were young and we had the kids were small, if we were going to go on a trip, we needed a trailer to bring everything, right? We were prepared for like avalanches and for like tornadoes and hurricanes. We had everything inside there. Now, we'll, you know, if we had kids now, we'd like, you, one diaper, let's go. <laughs> We're on our way. You'll be fine. Because you just kind of grow with the adventure. And you, you watch them as they, they learn to walk and laugh. And then they become sassy and rude. And, and you still embrace them. And, you know, when they're doing all this kind of stuff. In fact, today is, is Josh's birthday. He's 17 years old today. So it's, it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I made him an English breakfast this morning. Sausages. Vegetarian for you guys who need it to be. Uh, you know... <laughs> Steamed tomatoes, baked beans, toast, uh, butter, good butter on that. Oh, English breakfast. I had to have one myself. It was really good. It was really good. I sacrificed. It was great. Um, but we do all these things because we love the way that it grows. And as they grow, the way that they change us. And that's part of the adventure. It's not that something else is happening. It's that something else is happening and is affecting you. And you are growing. And you are having this adventure where you are exploring and you are discovering more all the time. And I think that sometimes we want to trade excitement and energy for the exploration that takes place instead. When we think of adventure, we want that kind of like that music. We want that kind of energy. We want that kind of like rush. And what God is saying is adventure with him is a lifetime. It's an entire journey. It doesn't just happen just with excitement and energy all the time. And this is what happens, though, is that we become very disappointed with life because we're constantly taking the energy and excitement and saying, that's what I want, instead of actually taking the exploration that God is actually offering us. We make our greatest adventures in life a new home. We make our greatest adventures in life a new car. We make our greatest adventures in life a new job. We make our greatest adventures in life a new, a new place that we live or move in. We make our greatest adventures in life a new affair. We make our greatest adventures in life a new drug. We make our greatest adventures in life a new sin. We do things because we love the excitement more than the journey that God is calling us to. Donna Friedstead wrote this book called The End of Sex. And she was talking about young adults in particular and the culture, the hook hookup culture, I'm trying to say that correctly, the hook 
up culture, which basically is anything from kissing to sex takes place inside there. She did a survey and she said that what's happening with the university students and our young adults is that they are crushing intimacy. They don't know how to be intimate because they are living in this culture. And she, she asked them how they feel about this and 41% of them said they were profoundly unhappy. 23% said, whatever, I can't really answer this question. I don't want to think about it. And 36% said, more or less, they're kind of fine inside there. But the one factor for all of these hookups that was predominantly coming through all the time was that alcohol was always present. They were always intoxicated in some shape or form, felt more relaxed, and then they hooked up and did whatever they did inside there. They were seeking for their adventure excitement and energy, but not the exploration, the life that God was calling them to. Karl Marx in 1844, a significant date for some people as well, 1844, he shared that religion is an opiate to the masses. You know the famous phrase? Uh, basically trying to say that religion has, you know, deadened the way that we think about society, deadened the way we think about politics, deadened the way because we just accept things. Karl Marx didn't get it. He was wrong. He didn't understand what he was talking about inside there. He was talking about those who wanted excitement and energy and had power and control. And God was saying, let me bring you over here to an exploration, a life that is a lifelong journey inside there. And I think that Donna and Carl both misunderstood and at the same time understood something significant, that there was this tension taking place between there. Now, no matter your belief, and I don't know whether you are Christian, whether you are Buddhist, or whether you are Muslim, or whatever faith you may have, right? I don't know whether you are Seventh-day Adventist, or Baptist, or Methodist, or Catholic, whatever your faith may have, whatever your religious walk, there are three things you'll want. Three things I want, three things you want. I personally believe that God created us to want those three things. But you, when you look at your paradigm and you look at your world that you know, those three things exist. Number one, we all need a purpose and vocation. Every single human being needs a purpose and vocation. Number two, we all need meaning and value. Every single one needs meaning and value. And number three, we all need community and love. Now, purpose and vocation varies for lots of people, but you can see it with little children. And maybe you remember this when, when you saw the very first Olympics as a child, and you looked at the TV and you saw those people and you thought to yourself, one day, I will be fourth. That's what you thought, right? You dreamed of being fourth, just next to them. Not actually bronze, not silver, not gold, just fourth, like off the podium. No, you dreamed of gold right? You dreamed of like being the best runner, the best swimmer, whatever it may be, because we are created to dream something big. When you talk to children and you say to them, hey, I'll give you a blank piece of paper and I would like you to draw the universe. Do you think they're daunted by that? They're like, no, I'll show you. Da -da -da. And then mom and dad are here and, and I'm in the middle always. There's the universe, right? And you ask them to, to create anything, they can create it. But as we get older, we squash our purpose and vocation, because we believe we're not capable of everything, and we start to crush it down so that we actually struggle all the way through what is our purpose and vocation. It's a struggle. I've sat down with people. I remember this one couple who were in their, in their 70s, and I would have to visit this couple. I'd visit them once a month, and they would have nothing to talk about. They would literally say, Pastor, could you give us a list of topics that we could talk about until we see you next month? And I was like, seriously? Like, you can watch TV, I guess. 
you could read a newspaper. No, I actually had to write an entire list for them and say, here's the 10 subjects that I want you to discuss between the next 30 days, and I'll see you in a month's time. Because they had come to the point where they had squashed everything inside them. What kind of life led them to that no, no place inside there? Meaning and value. We place values and meanings to everything. Your, the smell that we have, the scent that we have. You can, you can be walking downtown, and I can smell a particular fragrance. I'm like, I know that fragrance. It's good fragrance. It's all good. It's all good. It's happiness, and happiness is good. And you can immediately connect together. The reason why the guy created the Morse code, and he was like he applied meaning to the tapping taking place, people need to place, uh, place meaning and value to things. And we do. We want to be valued. We want to be able to value others as well. And community and love, we need it all. I don't, you know, you could be an introvert or an extrovert. You could be a person who really enjoys conversations or a person who likes to listen more. No matter what, people enjoy friendship. They want it. In fact, somebody just shared with me last week, they said one of the things that they struggled at this church, um, maybe it was two weeks ago, they said, is that uh, we, we come here all the time, we see all these people, we're really happy that everybody's happy, we just don't feel that we've made friends in the church. And this is, this is a big problem, right? Because people live far away. Imagine you live in Castle Rock, and you drive up to Boulder Church, and then you say, hey, I'd like to have lunch with you. Where do you live? And you live in Greeley, so you now drive from Boulder all the way to Greeley, and then you have to drive 400 hours back to Castle Rock. So what are the chances that Castle Rock and Greeley are gonna go have lunch together? Exactly, that's exactly it. You see, you didn't know the answer because it was zero. It's very hard, I know. Zero, because it's so far away. So last uh, month at the uh, vision board, we, we took a decision uh, to share the database with all the elders and with all the vision board members, and we are going to map everybody. We're all our partners. That means if you come to this church, you're interested in the mission and vision of this church here, we're going to create a Google map, map everybody out, write circles of 15 to 20 minutes of where people live, and we're going to create events over the next few months where we're going to invite you to come and meet your neighbors. And you'll be amazed. You're like, I didn't know you lived on the same street. <laughs> I see you at church every week, but today I was shocked. We live in the same town miracles will happen. And some of you, I know some of you who, who live pretty far away are thinking, yeah, wait and see. Uh, we'll see. I'm going to go visit somebody who lives three and a half hours away. So that's like a seven-hour journey to go see these people. They are our members, and they live far away from here. But we're going to create these circles. We're going to create space for you to connect because this is what God wired us for. Right from the very beginning in Genesis chapter, right at the beginning of Genesis, Jesus talked to us about community inside there. And he said, look, I, Adam and Eve, I want you to grow the land and till this earth and take care of this planet. I want you to own this planet. You're going to have purpose and a vocation here. You're going to have children and multiply and make this planet beautiful with life and creativity inside there. He said, I want you to actually have meaning in everything that you do. I want you to, to name the animals, give value to them. I want you to then to connect with you. I want you to name all the plants. I want you to see all that you could do inside there. And then he said, Adam, right at the beginning, I just want to make sure you understand how community is important. And you can see Adam, naming all the animals, seeing all the pairs, and then he's like, Lord, I, I just, it doesn't work. I, I, it should be somebody who matches me too. And he's like, sure, enough, I'm going to show you how important it is. And when he creates Eve, he creates Eve from a rib to signify that Adam was not to be above nor below, but equal. They were created equal, created equal in different strengths with each other. That's why he says, you will be my strength, and you'll be my flesh, and you'll be my bones, and my flesh, and you'll be weak, and my strength, together, complementing each other. So many people say that, uh, that you know, you, you have to go find someone, 
right? And, uh, and this is the battle all the time. It's like, do you have to be complete to find another complete person, or do you have to be a person who's really desperately needy and find another person who's desperately needy, right? And which one do you know works better? You want to say the complete person, right? The complete person, because then they got all their stuff together, and then they go find another complete person, and then they're fantastic. But you know where that comes from? It comes from safety nets where you want to get divorced, and you want to protect yourself. So you don't, you don't want to enter into a relationship and say, I'm going to throw myself in here, and in fact, I'm going to admit I need you. You want to say, well, you know, if you need me, I'm available. It's okay, because we're constantly defending ourselves and protecting ourselves from being vulnerable and saying, actually, I need somebody. And when you actually realize this, which God created us for community, you realize the power of that. So I feel like it's so important to do that. And Jesus understood that in John chapter 11. So turn with me to John chapter 11, page 994 in your Bibles. Page 994, John chapter 11. Those Bibles in the pews, remember, you can take them with you, you can write in them, you can put them back in the pews. gifts that we give to you so that you can actually study the Word of God outside of this week here as well. This is what it says there. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him and saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. John's like, hmm, there's something a little fishy in this story inside here. And this is a great story, and I'm glad that most of you have read this story, so we'll fly through this quite quickly. But here Jesus is saying, this is my community, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. I used to hang out with them all the time. I go to the house in Bethany and we enjoy good conversations and good food. It was my place to go and recover from all the struggles and all the life that was going on. I loved them, they loved me. We were like family, they were my extended family. I enjoyed doing ministry with them and they were phenomenal people. So when the message comes along and it says to us here that they describe Mary washing Jesus' feet, this hasn't even taken place yet. It's gonna be in the next chapter. But John wants to let you know right from the beginning, these people are really tight. They're really close together. She's the one who's going to wash Jesus' feet and anoint him and prepare him for the burial that's going to take place, knowing it's just a week away that's going to take place from here. So all of this is happening inside here. Jesus is trying to say to them, I really love you. And then Jesus says he waited two more days before he went there. And you're kind of wondering, yourself, why did Jesus wait? Well, the verses that follow, verses 7 to 16, basically tell you this, that he is preparing them for the final days. And he knows, he knows that he is going to go through with the cross, that the world is going to be transformed inside here. But he also knows that they don't understand life. They don't understand the past, they don't understand the present, and they have no idea about how the future is going to work. They don't understand any of this. In fact, when he resurrected uh, Jairus' daughter, many people said, oh, she was just in a coma. She wasn't really dead. It wasn't a real miracle. It was just a really easy thing that Jesus did. So he waits two more days to make sure that they are all admitting right now, for sure, we know definitely Lazarus is dead because he was gone for that time. So just in case David wasn't sure about that little bit dead 
uh, it's definitely dead, okay? Just making sure about that. John 11, verses, uh, verses uh, 17 to 27, I'm going to read to you because I feel that they really lead into our next question. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She was ready, okay, for the second coming. She knew at some point the Messiah would return in full glory and all the dead would be resurrected. This was not new theology to her. What she had understood, though, from her past is that something had been different inside there. Look at this question number two, uh, two inside here for you on the recalibrate questions. What, if only, in your life do you need to exchange for an if Jesus? What, if only, in your life do you need to exchange for an if Jesus inside there? We live life so often with regret. We do. We allow something that took place in the past to actually not only shape the future, but depress the present and the future as well. And the problem is that we have not filtered the past. I'm not saying that you should never ignore, you should ignore all the problems or all the things you've done wrong. I'm just saying that the things that you've done wrong, the regrets that you have in your life, they should not tell you how you live today. They should actually inform it with the context that you have and you should live a different life. When you buy a car and you're thinking about buying a car, sometimes you're influenced by your ancestors' belief of cars. Yeah, well, when I bought a Model T Ford, oh, didn't have electric windows, didn't have windows really on the side, so why do I need windows today? Well, context helps you understand that that's where it was, right? It's just, it's different inside there. When you marry or you're dating somebody, all of the past relationships, all the regret that you may have, you could live inside there. You could actually take all of that pain and just place it on the new relationship as well. And God is saying, I don't want you to do that. Your past has to be understood, but it can be paralyzing. Martha, this is not the first time that she's ever experienced death. It's not the first time she's seen somebody die. She can hold to the second coming, but she doesn't know of the new reality that Jesus is going to present, where he says that he is the resurrection and the life. He is the journey that he's calling us all to. He is saying, I am going to take what you think is that past regret of people dying, and I'm going to turn it around, and you will see it in a new way, and you will now know how you can live forward. And the results of this are intense, because what happens here is that not only does Jesus resurrect Lazarus, which is just phenomenal the way the story actually plays out. But as a result of that, he has to go into hiding. As a result of that, the orders are out that if they see Jesus, they are to arrest him on sight. The, the reality is that Lazarus is going to be hunted down as well. We believe in a different life. And a life of adventure and exploring means something different for us. So what is stopping you from getting baptized? Question number three. And how can you receive the Holy Spirit? I know some of you are studying the Holy Spirit and you're wrestling through this. There's this great text in Acts chapter 2. It's page 1008. 
But Acts chapter 2, turn with me to Acts chapter 2 if you can, uh, verses 37 to 39. And I want you to read this text because these texts for me, I think, tie into the challenges laid before us today. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 39. It says there, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, the question is, why were they cut? What had happened that they were cut about this? And you just have to go back one verse, verse 36. It says there, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you've crucified. They're saying, what holds you back from this? What holds you back from accepting Jesus? What holds you back from receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What holds you back from taking this on? Is it your regret? Is it all the past that you've had? Is it that you feel you're not worthy? Somebody told me just recently that they felt that they were not worthy to come to church. That life, they've done so many things that they felt they were not worthy to be present inside here. And I'm saying, Lord, God is calling you, saying you are worthy. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the one who's saying, I'm not about just excitement and energy. I'm about exploring the journey with you all the way through. In fact, when he tells us this, question number four here, what does the promise mean for our families inside here? Ephesians chapter three, Paul just unpacks this entirely for us. In Ephesians chapter three, I don't have time to read it, but read verses 14 to 21, where Paul starts off with his beautiful words. He says, for then, for now, for here I tell you, I bow down, I kneel down. When Pastor Jessica asked you today during the pastoral prayer to kneel or to stay standing, the reason why we do that is because we want you to know that for whatever's in your life, you can choose how you pray to God. But Paul is saying there are moments when you're praying to God, when you're reading the scriptures, where your only response is to kneel down. You have no option about it because you're overwhelmed. When you're in the garden of Gethsemane, when you're in the Stephen and the Stoning, you kneel down. You say, God, on my knees, I'm begging you to help me to understand that you're with me. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Paul goes on inside that text of Ephesians to say that the power of the Spirit is inside you and it strengthens you. And he does it abundantly. In fact, he knows your words, he knows your thoughts, he knows your ideas before you even say them. And he empowers them when you live inside there. So here's the challenge for you today. I'm going to ask you to take this Connect card. Just tear it inside your worship guide, separate it inside of you. And while you do that, I'm going to ask you all to stand with me. That means now. And, and the reason I'm going to ask you to stand is because um, we're going to do something different today. You've got this uh, Connect card inside here, and you can grab a pen in the pew. Um, you don't have to put your name on it. If you put your name on it, then, then you're basically saying to us that you want us to come and reach out to you. And you want us to help you to actually remove the regret. Because that's the truth. We all face regrets in some shape or form. And God is saying, I want you to be committed to an adventure. An adventure that is not shaped by regrets. An adventure that recognizes that regrets take place, but God is the resurrection and he is the life. He can shift and shatter the paradigm. And as we sing this first song that Pastor Lai is going to lead us in, I want you to write down a regret that you have, a regret that you have felt for a long time in your life, and I want you to place it inside this altar inside here. And then I'm going to pray over all of these. 
If you don't want to write anything, you don't have to. You can just take a blank paper. You can tell God in your own head, God, this is the regret that I have in my life. Fold the piece of paper over the connect card and put it inside there. God knows. It's not for us. It's really for you. I say to people all the time that um, until you say the words, until you write the words, until you articulate the thought, it's not real. Your mind has the ability to hide a lot of your struggles, has a lot of ability to be able to shatter all those things. But sometimes you have to say it. And I regret many things, believe me. I regret when I was early in my marriage, fighting with my wife and wanting desperately to just run out of the room instead of actually confronting the issue. And at times, I gotta believe it, I, I actually did. I think I walked out entirely and said, too much, and walked out. I remember once I actually smacked the wall in our house, like I, I hit the wall with the side of my hand, when my hand ached for months afterwards, and there was a dent in the wall, because I was angry. So much change, and so many things that I hadn't processed in my life that I hadn't dealt with. I have regrets. I have regrets of shouting at my children. Regrets of not being patient, kind and loving to them all the time and you have those regrets too and if you live in those regrets it will shape what kind of father and mother you are today unless you say God you're the resurrection of the life you're with me when I make mistakes and you're with me when I'm no longer making those mistakes and you're pulling me through that I can help other people as well those regrets are like chains around us and it's time to let go of them not about this excitement and this energy all the time. It's about the journey with God. And this adventure with God is just, it's transformative. It is. And if you want to feel the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you've got to start to say to God, God, come take all my regrets away. Move them away. I ask for forgiveness. They're gone. You don't look at them. I don't need to look at them. Let me find a way forward. So I invite you to come forward when you're ready. We'll sing the song and place your regrets inside here, and then I'll pray for you.